A reading from the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. The Pharisees and some legal experts from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean hands. They were eating without first ritually purifying their hands through washing. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat without first washing their hands carefully. This is a way of observing the rules handed down by the elders. Upon returning from the marketplace, they don't eat without first immersing themselves. They observe many other rules that have been handed down, such as the washing of cups, jugs, pans, and sleeping mats. So the Pharisees and legal experts asked Jesus, why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead eat food with ritually unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He wrote, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship of me is empty since they teach instructions that are human words. You ignore God's commandment while holding on to rules created by humans and handed down to you. Jesus continued, Clearly, you are experts at rejecting God's commandment in order to establish these rules. Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And the person who speaks against father or mother will certainly be put to death. But you say, if you tell your father or mother, everything I'm expected to contribute to you is Corbin, that is, a gift I am giving to God, then you are no longer required to, to care for your father or mother. In this way, you do away with God's word in favor of the rules handed down to you, which you pass on to others. And you do a lot of other things just like that. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. After leaving the crowd, he entered a house where his disciples asked him about that riddle. He said to them, Don't you understand either? Don't you know that nothing from the outside that enters a person has the power to contaminate? That's because it doesn't enter into the heart but into the stomach, and it goes out into the sewer. By saying this, Jesus declared that no food can, could contaminate a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight, he said. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. And I just want to say I'm, I'm a little grateful for the challenge this morning with tech. 
I don't know about anyone else here, but I had some like real time anxiety, some very like, oh, we're supposed to be by the clock anxiety. And I just wanna name that in me, that is white supremacy culture. That is the urgency of timeliness um, that I'm, I'm working to root out in favor of relationship. So, so just so you all know, the reason that we held off is because many members of our community are online and we don't wanna break relationship with them in favor of st sticking to a schedule. We wanna hold that relationality, the care for one another, the inclusion of all who need that accessibility above the pressure and urgency of timeliness, which is white supremacy culture. So thank you for being with me in that as I work to, to confront that. And I just wanna acknowledge that some of you may have relationships and folks that are expecting you at a particular time and place. And if you need to leave this place early to honor those relationships, that's legit too. So thank you for being here with me this morning. Thanks to the band for the T-Swift. I love, I love that. I, it's, it's not the first time we've sung that song in church and I, I find it so freeing and so lovely. Um, and if you couldn't tell from the song today, we are talking about haters. <laughs> now we're in the middle of a series called Queering the Bible. Um, oh no, that's not the series that we're in. <laughs> we're, our series is called Underground, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Our companion text is Queering the Bible and specifically Queering the Gospel of Mark. So we are using the commentaries, reflections, thoughts of queer scholars and leaders on the Gospel of Mark to guide our conversation. And we are seven chapters in. Uh, and so today in Mark chapter seven, uh, we are, uh, we're focusing on this text where the Pharisees confront Jesus. And our commentator um, is Reverend Shania D. Leonard. And they have some things to say about haters. Now, in this conversation, I, I just want to acknowledge first that, like, there is some kind of, like, wait a minute, because the disciples are being accused of eating with unclean hands. And in, like, a COVID-slash-post-COVID world, <laughs> I think a lot of us might be on the side of the Pharisees on this one. Like, wash your hands, bros. That's gross <laughs> and dangerous, right? But... The difference here is actually that it's not about hygiene. This is, this is not a passage about hygiene. They have washed their hands in kind of a hygienic manner. What they have not done is washed their hands in a ritual manner. A lot of the law of Moses, especially as interpreted in that time and place, was about ritual cleansing about distinguishing between what is pure, what is unpure. And so a lot of the ways that people connected to God was through cleansing. But this brings us to a fundamental question about ritual and about religion. What is it for? Who is it for? What is the purpose of ritual hand washing in this moment? And why is it so important to the Pharisees to do it and not important to the disciples? This is sort of like similar to this question around timeliness, right? Why is it important to have the, the trains run on time? Why do we have urgency about timeliness? Who is that for? Is it serving our relationships, our communities, or is it serving empire? Now, this is not the first time that the law in this manner has come up in the Gospel of Mark. We didn't focus on this part of Mark chapter 2, but there's already been a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees about breaking the law. 
Jesus and his folks are like going through the fields on the Sabbath day, gleaning, which is to say picking up some of the food um, out of the fields. And that's technically work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That's part of the Sabbath law. And so in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees say to Jesus, look, why are you breaking the Sabbath law? And Jesus says to the Pharisees, haven't you ever read what David did when he was in need? When he and those with him were hungry? Which is to say, my people are hungry. That matters here. During the time, uh, during that time, they were allowed to eat. And so he gave bread to those who were with him. And he explains this story about how the needs of the people, the hunger of the people, the relationship that they are tending is more important than the law of not working on the Sabbath. He concludes this teaching by saying, the Sabbath was created for humans. Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. Now, this is one of the most fundamental um, teachings around the law and our understanding of the law. What is the law for? What is religion for? What are rituals for? They are for us. We are not made for them. And how often do we find ourselves slaves to the law that is held captive, feeling obligated to fulfill these rituals or the expectations of religion, when in fact those rituals are given as a gift to us to facilitate our connection to God, to community, and to our truest, most full self. Last week, uh, I was having coffee with a member of our leadership team, Taylor. You see her singing up here sometimes. And Taylor and I were getting coffee because we check in from time to time, you know, how is it with your soul, all that good stuff. And she was like, I have a question for you, Jonah. I am sharing this story with her permission, just for anyone <laughs> worried about it. I'm not going to just share everything without asking folks. But she asked, can I be a Christian if I just, like, don't pray? And I really appreciated that question because I think it's a question that a lot of people either have or want to ask or are too afraid to ask and instead just feel guilty about not praying. And I was like, can you elaborate on what you mean by that, Taylor? And she said, well, I, I mean, I pray at church and I pray when I'm with the band and when we're with the leadership team and we pray together, but I never pray alone. And I was like, first of all, that's quite a lot of praying. <laughs> Second of all, what do you mean you never pray when you're alone? Tell me what that means to you. And she's like, well, you know, I, I know you're supposed to like get up hella early and like sit with your Bible and your journal and your beautiful cup of coffee and being like, you know, an evangelical Instagram photo. Like that's prayer, right? That's what I'm supposed to be. I'm leading in this community. I'm supposed to, supposed to be that. And, and like, I know, actually, that Taylor is an extremely spiritual person and a spiritual leader. She's a Taurus, so, like, she seeks grounding a lot. We had actually been talking earlier about her hopes for her life, and one of the things that she had said was, like, oh, I'm really hoping to get a work-from-home job, and I was like, great, like, what would that provide for you? And she's like, ah, I could go take yoga classes in the middle of the day on my lunch break. And I was like, what is yoga like for you? She's like, oh, it just, it forces me to slow down. 
take really deep breaths, you know, just be in that moment. And so I was like, Taylor, you're praying. <laughs> you're praying with your body. You're being present and alive. Like, if you were to be fully free to divorce yourself from the expectations of that Instagram account in your mind, the expectations of the megachurch that told you what a good Christian was, what would it be like to be spiritually alive? If you weren't wedded to any of those expectations, how would you show up to your relationship with God, with the divine, with your community, with yourself? And she started telling me, like, oh, you know what? I think, like, I would love to, you know, take walks and just, like, take a slow walk. I would love to light a candle, maybe pull a tarot card. I'm like, Taylor, all these things are prayer. All of these things are prayer. Prayer is a spiritual practice about being with God, showing up to yourself, to the present, to others. Scripture describes prayer in all kinds of ways. Meditating is one of them. The Psalms talk all the time about meditating on the law. The scriptures tell us, for instance, to be praying without ceasing. Do you think that that means that we're expected all to just be constantly like mumbling under our breaths all the time? Father God, Father God, Father God. <laughs> there are so many ways to pray. When Jesus prays, he retreats, right? Sometimes we pray together. That's beautiful. Jesus prays, he goes away. He hangs out for a day, a half a day, in a cave, by himself, on a hill. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is creating the conditions to be fully present to and with God. Jesus is showing up with quality time. What's your spiritual love language? Because it's not always words. At the core, it is about being present or mindful, if mindfulness is meaningful to you, or fully alive, if you're really into the Zao framework. And we talk about being fully alive because that's what Zao means, to be among the living. It's a word that Jesus uses. And and to be among the living is, it's so many things, right? It's creating the conditions for living by opposing the mechanisms of death. It is being in the streets and working towards solidarity and liberation for all people. It's about having joy and connection. It's about singing or dancing or being in our body. But most of all, it is about being here. It is about being full and present. It is about connecting rather than numbing out or shutting off. We sang today already that we are called to open up our hearts. And that gives us the strength to sow love even where there is hate. Open up your heart. Be fully alive. This is the call of the spiritual life. And you know what? If you get there by waking up at 5 a.m. and getting your picture-perfect Bible and journal, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And do that. Let that practice open up your heart. Do your morning pages. How many people has that blessed? But if the religious authorities in your life have, like the Pharisees, gotten so into their ritual, so into their interpretation, that they've not only neglected to help you find yours, but they've also created a legalistic expectation of what prayer is, 
we've gotten way off track. Ritual is made for us, not us for ritual. And it is a misunderstanding of the law and the teachings to be so rigid. And sometimes it's helpful to step outside of a religious context to like fully grasp how silly it is to get so legalistic and project our own feelings onto other people, right? And how damaging that can be to relationship. So when Taylor and I was talk were talking, I was like, have you ever known like really militantly evangelistic vegans? <laughs> I was a vegan for a few years, and so I just want to like own that. Vegans are lovely. But like there are some people who found veganism and are like, this is the only way, and it is all I'll talk about, and you are wrong until you join, right? Same with CrossFit. If you haven't met, <laughs> I was also into CrossFit, so <laughs> I like CrossFit. But similarly, right, there are people who get in so into CrossFit that like, they will not hold space for your different experience. It is absurd. It's absurd, right? Our bodies, we all need different things. We all need different things. So is it like that in this passage? Like these Pharisees have just so deeply connected to God through their hand washing, that they're like, you gotta go vegan, man. You gotta try CrossFit. <laughs> no, because it's no longer an invitation, it's a demand. It's an expectation. It's a, you are wrong if you have not experienced freedom in the way that I have. And here it has curdled into something more hateful. They have become a kind of religious police. And in so doing, in projecting their understanding of the law and not holding space for people's relationship, they have ceased to do it with love. This is the core of the hater experience, right? Like, it becomes entirely separate from love. And I know there are people who are intending to act out of love when they do hateful things. There are some people who claim to be doing it in love even when it's like very clear they're not. They're like, I'm doing this because I love you. Right? Like, we can feel how false that is. But there are some people who are genuinely trying, right? They're like, I need you to understand that the only way you will ever feel good is if you join my box and never call it a gym again because CrossFit is the only way. <laughs> right? There are people who get so caught up. But this is something else. This is something harder. This is something more cruel. This is something that says, actually, not only have I found the right way, but now I feel superior about it. I feel better than you about it. This gives me a position to look down on you, and now my new role from my lofty position is to tell you how wrong you are. Like, there's no love in that. There hasn't been love in that for a long time. And the scriptures tell us, you know, right, all that we do without love is nothing. If I have everything but I don't have love, is worthless. Clanging cymbals, ringing gongs. We become these horrible noise machines distracting from right relationship. Not only not creating the conditions for holiness and divinity, to thrive and to connect us, but actually drowning out the beauty of God's love. This is where Reverend Shania D. Leonard comes in. They are a pastor, 
a teacher, a consultant, a community activist, and a 21st century abolitionist. And they write about haters. They say, haters are not happy unless they are pointing out where another has been less than or unequal to the standards set. And Jesus feels this and right away is like, who set those standards? Did God set those standards? Or are you misunderstanding the function of the law? You set those standards. And maybe it began because those standards helped you connect to God. Beautiful. But that has shifted. And now it has become a tool with which you can judge others. It has become a rod which you can beat others. It has become a high horse that you sit on so that you can reject others. And that is not healing. That is not bringing folks into right relationship. That is about your ego and you feeling secure that you're the right one. Being a hater, they say, often shows just how blemished the narrowly focused lens of jealousy, ignorance, inaccuracy, and pettiness often is. And I love that word, pettiness, because I think that's really accurate to what we experience from haters. Pettiness, missing the mark, right? Not getting the point, but focusing on some very little detail. Missing the mark, by the way, is one of the synonyms for sin in scripture. Which is not to say like, oh, you're bad because you missed the mark. But this is what separates us from love, is missing the mark, is being petty. I think the other thing that pettiness brings up for me is Jesus' example of uh, pointing out the speck in someone else's eye, ignoring the log in your own, right? And this is not about saying, hey, we shouldn't be talking about how to love well. We shouldn't be calling one another out when we're doing something harmful. It's about getting the point What is the point of the ritual? What is the point of the law? The point is love. Jesus is extremely clear about that. The spirit of the law is love. And if we're losing that for what we interpret to be the letter of the law, especially if it's a letter we have written, we have missed the mark and we've gone real petty. When Reverend Shania is writing about this, they say, this sounds like a lot of church people I know. Can anyone else relate to that? This sounds like a lot of church people we know. There's a culture involved here. And it's hard for us to understand when we're looking back at the text because it's a different culture. But if we just look out at the world of religiosity around us, how much of tradition is culture? How much is us projecting our culture onto one another and saying, my culture, my tradition is correct. We got into this with some people online the other day about what we wear in church, where someone was like, I can't listen to anybody claiming to speak about God and dressed like worse than they would to go to work. And I was like, first of all, I'm at my job. (laughs) I work here. They were like, well, you look like you're ready to go on a hike. I was like, oh, we're going on a hike after service. You want to come? (laughs) But that conversation was about reverence because that person expresses reverence for God by putting on different kinds of clothing. And you know what? What's really wild about this conversation? I think that's beautiful. I think that's great. 
If what makes you feel connected to the beauty and glory of God is to put on your Sunday best, please put it on. Glorify God. But the sin, the pettiness is then saying, oh, you have to glorify God the way that I glorify God. It has to make you feel connected to God to dress up to my expectations about what I think your Sunday best is. And if you don't, then that's, you know, if you don't feel that, you have to do it anyway because that's what the law requires. The law that I wrote <laughs> about Sunday best. Like, this is the pettiness that turns ritual or practice, spiritual practice, into legalism, into superiority, into hate. Reverend Shania writes, the hater makes an accusatory ruling on the content of one's character based on an outward practice or ritualistic portion of life and faith. So if you don't practice the tradition the way that I do, something is deficient in you. You are less than. Jesus is not here for that. Like, Jesus is super not here for that and basically tells them where to shove it. Like, <laughs> one of the things that I really want folks to understand as we're moving through this gospel is that Jesus is crude. Jesus is not trying to sugarcoat. And I think sometimes we get separated from that, partly because of our kind of precious moments, Jesus, and our Santa Clausification of radical figures, but also because we put it in Old English and in like, you know, King James and stuff, and it removes us a little bit so that we can pretend it's really lofty. But I just want to break down for you the potty humor that Jesus is bringing into this conversation. He's like, oh, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out. He literally references the sewer when people are like, what? <laughs> and he's like, I will lay it out for you. It's not what you're eating that defiles you. It's the shit that comes out of you guys. It is the crap that you are spewing. That's what's defiling you. That's what's separating you from God. Like, stop it. You need to calm down. <laughs> Jesus is so over it. And it's like, you are making up laws left and right. And in so doing, you are forgetting the heart of the law, which is love. Reverend Shania writes, as haters throw shade on the disciples, Jesus says that the real problem is not the lack of dove, purell, or dawn at the table. It is the dirty hearts of the ones who have the cleanest hands. And if we haven't all experienced that in church, am I right? Jesus goes on to show them that they have given preference for their own teachings, rules, and traditions over the divine and over the people. They have allowed holding on to their own echo chamber of thoughts and beliefs to be elevated over their ability to show love, mercy, and care for God's creation, which is adherence to God's word. And by doing so, they have not only disobeyed God, but they themselves have become truly the ones deemed defiled. What is the point of ritual? It is connection. It is community. It is not obligation. It is offering. Both for God, we offer our practices to God, but also an offering from God to us, a gift to us that we might be made whole, that we might remember who we are. 
You are not here for the law. The law is here for you. And when we start to interpret the law, if we get too far away from that spirit, it can get ugly fast. Anybody know when the word homosexual was introduced into the English translations of the scriptures? 1946. So for 2,000 years, that was not an interpretation of the scripture. For 2,000 years. And Jesus is saying, hey, the law tells you to honor your mother and father, but you wanted money to go to the temple. So you said that anything that goes to the temple doesn't have to go to your mother and father. And so you opted out of that law. And now you hold that law higher than the gospel, which is to care for the people in your community. And you do all kind of stuff like that. The scriptures tell us to love one another. The scriptures tell us to embrace love, to care, to create mutuality and faithfulness to one another, belonging, solidarity. But someone said, ooh, I don't like the way those people do it. And they inserted their own reading, their own interpretation. They inserted the word homosexual as a judgment so that they could sit on their high horse and say, you're not doing it right. But they made up that law. They made up that law. And they have drifted from the heart of the gospel, which is love, connection, and care. They have found a technicality and twisted it to say that love and the creation and choosing a family, the connection between people can be soured because you're not doing it right, not the way I think you should do it, not the way I do it. This is sin. This is pettiness. It is hate. You are not here for the law. The law is here for you that you might flourish and experience and give love. You are not here to pray. Prayer is here for you to find grounding and presence and hope. You are not here to worship God. Worship is here for you to remember that you are part of something bigger than yourself, to connect to the divine and community, to find your way back to the hope you have in the gospel. These things are for our benefit in the context of relationship with a God who loves us, not a God who is looking down their nose waiting for us to screw up. But we've come to believe, often through messages of the church, that anything for our benefit has to be painful has to be unpleasant. It's not true. It's challenging, but it's not rigid. You are made uniquely with the divine image of God in you. So finding what works for you, what opens up your heart, matters. Again, to, to shift the stakes a little bit, to make it a little easier to see, I wanna go back to care for the body. I tried running. I hate running. I hate it. I hate it. One of my super close friends is an ultra marathoner. He runs literally a hundred miles. And as he's there jogging, he's happy as a clam. And I'm like, this is horrible. This is horrible. I tried lifting. I love lifting. Oh my gosh, it's so fun for me. I feel so alive. I've tried working out early in the morning. Cameron used to make me work out at like five in the morning. I nearly died. 
I lift at like 10 o'clock or on my lunch break, I feel on top of the world. Food is really critical to me and how I feel well and take care of myself. I was vegan, as I mentioned, for a couple of years, and I actually ended up feeling really sick. A few years later, I tried Whole30, which is, you know, kind of a paleo thing, and I felt amazing. So now imagine if I was told, and I have been told, because we've all been given prescriptions about our bodies too, right? Imagine if I was told that the only way to love my body was to wake up at 5 a.m., go for a run, and eat vegan all day. <laughs> now, that would work amazingly for some of my friends, and does. They feel alive and are energized. Their hearts are open. They're present. But I would be miserable. I would be miserable. I'd be miserable to be around. And my body would be miserable, too. Instead, I sleep as late as my toddler and work schedule allow. I eat paleo when I'm able to food plan, which is sometimes. And I lift over lunch breaks or in the afternoons. This is how I care for my body. This is how I listen to my body. This is how my body is built. How do you care for your spirit? How do you listen to your spirit? How are you built to be in relationship with God. Give yourself freedom, freedom to explore. If long, ritual, beautiful hand washing helps you be present and open-hearted during a meal, that's amazing. And if not, don't do it. Find the thing that lights you up. The haters have missed the spirit and they're weaponizing their judgment so that they can sit in superiority. They have work to do, to let go of that superiority, to find what brings them peace and openness. And those who are on the receiving end of that hate have work to do too, to let those judgments roll off of us. As Jesus told us in the scripture we read last week, shake that dust off of your feet as you walk away so that you can find your open-hearted spirituality. And a message for any time the haters veer into that territory or any time we get too legalistic, any time we lean into purity culture around the right way to be, any time we feel so superior that there is no room for compassion or love in our hearts. Our theologian for today says, be warned. If your faith and adherence to said faith makes you uncaring, ungiving, unloving, or ungodly, then you have missed the point of being in relationship with God and in community with God's creation. May we all come to our bodies, to our spirits, and to our communities with open hearts. May we sow love in place of hate. May we be present to one another, and may we offer ourselves as ritual gifts in the hope that we can be made more alive and not more perfect. Amen.